Hello and welcome to another episode of the Daily Remedy Podcast. Today we're here with Professor Mark Garofoli. He is the Director of Experiential Learning and Clinical Assistant Professor at West Virginia University. He's actively involved in patient care and policy at West Virginia University Integrative Pain Management Center. And he is the host of the Pain Pod on the Pharmacy Podcast Network. And with that, I'd like to welcome well, thank you very much. It, it's uh, it's always a pleasure, actually, since I'm making a return visit now, I guess. But uh, always good to uh, you know have conversations about uh, some of these polarized, sensational, and eh, just hot topics these days, right? Exactly. Well, if anybody is the right person to talk to, it would be you about these issues. So let's jump right into it. President Biden issued a mass pardon for those with federal convictions for simple possession and use of marijuana. He also requested the government to reschedule marijuana as something other than a scheduled one drug. What are the implications of this move for the marijuana using community, both medically and recreationally, and at large for the medical community? So it, it's another step in a direction um, where, where the ball has been rolling for a, a good while now, really. Um, and, and what I mean by that in a, in a bigger picture is um, the, the sentiment across our country with, with oh gosh, more, more than three quarters of our states having some sort of movement legally when it comes to cannabis, marijuana, CBD, the whole gamut. Uh, there's The majority of states now have something, whether it's medical, recreational, so on and so forth, uh, as far as laws enacted. Uh, but this uh, this move recently uh, by, by the uh, President Biden administration of course, uh, caught some, some big headlines. I know I shared some stuff even on LinkedIn, as I usually do. And, uh, you know, just to get people thinking, um, it, you know, is this a, a huge, pivotal, life-changing move? Well, in the gamut, on the surface, not really. Uh, perhaps the, the intention is just to continue the ball rolling, maybe get it a little bit faster along the way. Uh, it, I find it interesting that when we see headlines across the country and, and, and you know, to the tune of thousands of people pardoned, uh, you know, it catches all of our eyes and ears. We're all human. It, it caught mine originally as well, too. Uh, but when you think about it, there's 330 million Americans out there and 6,500 is a rather low number. Uh, you know, we've encountered this in numerous public health efforts in the last couple of years and really forever enduring. Uh, so it, it's in the big picture on the federal level, it's not necessarily uh, a lot of people. Uh, but the intention, I, I believe, um, as our president had mentioned, uh, was to, to um, you know, provoke state governors to do the same at the state level. And that's really where we'd be adding zeros on to the number of Americans, you know, with those types of pardons couple notes on that. Uh, pardon is different uh, from, you know, just taking something completely off of one's record with no history whatsoever um, in, in the minute picture. Um, one thing I, I've had a couple other uh, uh, folks in the realm bring up and, and have conversations with too is it's interesting that on the federal level, uh, you know, for someone in the past to have gotten a federal level uh, marijuana possession uh, um, you know, penalty. Uh, a lot of times I, I cannot and will not put a number on it or a percentage. A lot of times they were up to something else yeah. much bigger. And that's what was agreed upon to, you know, have something uh, on the books per se. I, I find that rather interesting as well. Cause it's like, well, what else was going on if that was the only thing that was held there, you know, the dangling fruit, I guess. So Trying to talk about all sides here. Uh, you know, this is one of those topics that everybody's got their personal facts. 
that's what one of my sisters-in-law uh, calls opinions, by the way, personal facts. We, we've all got <laughs> um, I, you know, just, just trying to talk about all sides here though, because there's a lot going on, you know, to your point. I, I think it's important to emphasize that because there's a few angles here. There's the conceptual anger, uh, uh, angle, rather, Freudian slip, on the harm reduction versus some of the more traditional policies on drug restriction and drug use. There's also the economic and social implications of marijuana and cannabis as medication, as a form of recreation, and how it entails use relative to other medications like prescription opioids or prescription benzodiazepines. So maybe let's kind of piece it one by one and kind of go through it because I think each sure. one is important to mention. So let's start with the most simple one. So the implication for medical and recreational marijuana dispensaries, what will this pardon now have in terms of changing business life and personal life for those functions? Well, uh, not to be overly succinct, but not much really. <laughs> Yes. Um, you know, if you think about it, uh, you know, there's the the call for the um, more conversation on rescheduling. Well, what does a controlled substance one, two, three, four or five or beyond even have to do with a, a medical or even recreational marijuana dispensary? I, I mean, absolutely nothing. It, it's they, they can't even use terminology like prescribe dispense. It's just use different words and call it a day, really. Um, hmm. But that has nothing really to do in that realm um, with these dispensaries. Now, when you go one more step, um, you know, think about, um, oh, I don't want to like name other uh, necessarily federal entities, but like ATF, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. Uh, for this conversation, the, 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 the F word in that one is irrelevant and casually related perhaps, but um, the alcohol and the tobacco. Um, that They're kind of like on their own little island. Yeah. Um, they, they get an entire, you know, another federal entity that has nothing to do with controlled substances. Um, I, I usually use that example just to get provoke people, you know, that have the, that thinking of, well, you know, in healthcare, we pivot around controlled substances, but turns out the rest of the world has a lot more going on too. So, well, well, let's touch on that. So if the dispensary component is a moot argument in this, let's focus on the more cognitive argument that marijuana plays in the overall role of harm reduction versus substituting a more dangerous quote unquote drug for a less dangerous quote unquote drug in the context of alcohol, tobacco, and prescription medications like opioids and benzodiazepines. So just cutting straight to the point here, I really, is this now going to make marijuana a viable alternative to certain prescription medications that are deemed to be of high risk of abuse? Well, if that's not the money question of the century, good golly. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you use some uh, pretty important quotes there when, you, when you're when you're articulating that question there, of course. So, um, but where, where I'm going with that is, um, you know, I'll, I'll take the heat off us here. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Nora Volkow, um, head of NIDA, uh, incredibly intelligent professional. Uh, I actually got to chat with her a little bit at the uh, recent RX Summit um, in Atlanta, uh, conference typically every April. Um, certainly uh, implore folks to check that conference out. Uh, we had, uh, as you mentioned, you know, being the host of the Pain Pod, we were actually the, the podcast covering the, the conference overall. But anyways, um, got uh, myself and others, of course, got to uh, chat with her a little bit. And, and one, if, one thing that she cannot reiterate enough whenever having a microphone is, you know, it's not all about what us in healthcare 
uh, think about when it comes to a substance, a chemical, a medication. Uh, access becomes a huge thing. In fact, it's probably the most important thing. Uh, you know, to, to your point of, of asking the question of are, are there substitutions happening here, whether you're talking about prescription opioids, alcohol, benzos, whether illicit or even within the healthcare chain of, of um, you know, prescription benzos um, or cannabinoids or cannabis. You know, we in healthcare, we tend to jump to, uh, you know, especially as a pharmacist, I'm always like, how does it work? Mechanism of action and how much? It's all about the dosage, baby. Those two <laughs> things dictate safety, efficacy, all the rest of stuff, drug interactions, you know, all that important stuff that we we unpack for our patients. Uh, but in the big picture, um, you know, for society as a whole, it's really just can you get your hands on it easily or not? Uh, and you can think about that with, you know, uh, you know, we're here primarily talking about uh, all things cannabis, uh, but think about alcohol. Um, it's responsible for as many uh, related deaths in our country as all drugs, quote unquote, combined, whereas tobacco is five times that it's like half a million related. It's, you know, indirect or direct related deaths a year. And it's something that, you know, anybody as an adult can buy pretty much anywhere. Mm. Um, that really drives home that access thing. So the. The whole war on drugs, the opioid crisis, the, you know, whatever terminology we're, we're you know, appropriately using, of course, um, it really comes down to everything we know is healthcare, folks, but then also the access. Um, and finally, the court of public opinion. Mm. Uh, I, I don't, I, I really, I never really like to share opinions, as <laughs> I always pontificate about, but I, I really don't think it's an opinion anymore to think that the ship has sailed that the American, you know, court of public opinion has already said, okay, we're okay with this stuff that we'll refer to as cannabis everything. Uh, we see that in the, the laws I mentioned earlier all across our country. Uh, the public opinion, certainly not all of us, not everyone, but the majority of America has already said, we're okay with access to this stuff. That doesn't mean that there'll be 100% good effects coming from that. Right. <laughs> we see that with alcohol and tobacco. I already talked about that, of course. But that final piece is public opinion. And that really, uh, that dominates the lands these days. Uh, it's it been, you know, silenced or submerged for a little while or changed. Uh, but that's really coming to the forefront now. Um, and it's really important to keep in mind, too. It, it's, you know, when, when folks are in the, uh, I always say like the, the play or movie, I guess, Hamilton, the room where it happens. Uh, when leaders, when uh, community members are in the room where it happens and are making these decisions that affect so many people in our communities across the country, um, the opinions are already out there. And, and we have to be cognizant of that, too. Um, you know, it, it's uh, you mentioned harm reduction, like perhaps there's, you know, at, at the point of saying, all right, the ship is sailing. Um, so how do we go about that in, in a way of reducing or preventing any harm here or there, regardless of, you know, child, adult, elderly, whatever. Uh, we really have to take those big picture things into account. I like the way you phrased it, and I'm just going to review it because I think it's important to summarize it. You talk about the actual pharmacological dangers of certain medications. As you mentioned, it's all about the dosage, baby. That's one thing that you've known for reiterating on your educational podcast. You talk about access, and then you talk about public opinion, and you're almost triangulating public policy individual patient risk, and overall social implications, the moralizations, if you will, of the medications or of the drug into this 
pot where everything is mixed together, pun intended. Let's Completely. Go at it, I was right? going to call you out. Yeah, <laughs> pun intended. But it, what's, what's very interesting about that is then you can't help but create these false equivalencies then because it's very subjective. So almost in a way you're saying access relative to, danger relative to, public opinion relative to. So it's almost inevitable that you're going to create these false equivalencies where a change in drug X or substance X is going to change my opinion of drug Y, a substance Y. And do we really want to go down that path? Because I see hesitation going that way because you can really lead to some pretty erroneous logic if you think that way. Oh, yeah. And and if, um, you know, whatever the thought, opinion or whatever is, uh, there's an article out there to back you up these days. <laughs> it, <laughs> it's, you know, it, it's, uh, oh gosh, I, I think I said it the other day that the movie that the whole truth and nothing but the truth, or you can't handle the truth. I think that's actually two movies, but anyway, <laughs> um, it, it's whatever, you know, one's truth is there, there's articles out there, even in reputable journals to back one up. And, and maybe that's okay too, by the way, um, you know, there, there's a lot of thoughts out there and we, we got to have the information, but uh we want to have everybody have it. You can't make an informed decision without information, quite yeah, frankly. Yeah. I mean, that's what it boils down to. So so what is next then? Will marijuana become part of medical care more than it is now? Instead of being kind of relegated to fringe marijuana cards or recreational use, will we start to see marijuana now used as a viable prescription for medical conditions? Outside so, of the glaucoma and the traditional what have you. So, so utilizing a term like, uh, you know, easily integrated into our healthcare system, you know, saying prescription or, you know, prescribing dispensing, it, it might be a bit for that, um, mm. if ever, but it might be a bit for that. Um, that being said, um, you know, that triangulation that, that we were we were talking about and you thankfully summarized there, mm-hmm. uh, that really comes into play even on the, the healthcare side. Um, if you think about it, we already have readily available FDA approved cannabinoids in our country. Now, two thirds of them cost more than an arm and a leg. <laughs> I mean, there, there's uh, very sadly, there, there's pediatric patients out there. There's kids out there having dozens of seizures a day. And you know what's helping them? Uh, CBD. Yeah. The FDA approved version, of course. Um, but when you think about the cost of it, it's well into five figures compared to what somebody could acquire in their town in a building with a nice shiny neon sign for what some might say is expensive, but pennies compared to the product I just talked about. Exactly. Um, and, you know, THC, uh, there's been Marinol, Dronabinol for, for decades now. Uh, cost is certainly different in, in that realm. And there's more and more in the, the pipeline. Um, it is physically impossible to talk about to talk without puns in, in this genre. It seems um, like it, right? <laughs> it's, it's, you, you don't even have to think about it, but anyways, um, there's all that, you know, uh, folks will say, Oh, what, you know, what's big pharma up to? Like if it's this big cartoon figure or something, um, well, they're developing like every other medical condition and every other type of substance, medication, whatever, uh, there's cannabinoids that are aiming to be prescription products in the pipeline, just like everything else. Um, cause it, it's a, it's a relatively newer frontier the, the concept of the endocannabinoid system or ECS um, it, it it sounds like uh, another language or something um, you know what a, a very uh, out there question be like why don't we teach about that in health class I'm talking like seventh and eighth grade like how would I make it this far in life with learning that in my my more recent decades um, 
there's a body system like take yeah, the yeah. polarity out of it. It, it it's something that's in there um just like we have endocannabinoids. i'm sorry in, in endorphins you know endogenous opioids in our body too it's less provocative these days but you think 20 30 years ago and be like ooh, where are they going with this um it, it's just getting that information out there really um that those some of the things that are really coming into play especially on the healthcare side uh, but here and now today all across our country i've observed this with so many clinicians even of um, that that whole access and public opinion thing uh, sometimes uh, folks you know like think about an er what if somebody brings a a quote-unquote medical marijuana into an er is that okay with that health healthcare system with that hospital system um, well, policies are being developed and have already been developed of what do you do? Do you allow it? Well, if you don't allow it, then what do you do? Yeah. I mean, physically, like with your with your hands and with your patient counseling and all that, like, is there going to be a, a, a law enforcement in every room or something? Like, like what do you do? <laughs> um, yeah. uh, the practicality, you know, if we make the triangle a square, I guess. <laughs> it, it's very tricky when you think about it. And I have observed where, you know, people are like, oh, of course, not not in our house. And then you, you kind of go down that path and about three days later, you're like, okay, well, <laughs> yeah, I, what are we going to do? Um, you know, it, it's so funny you mentioned that because there's this kind of schism in the minds of so many healthcare professionals about broad policy and how it applies individually. Everybody mm -hmm. always says, I support harm reduction. This is permissible, so on and so forth. But as long as it's not in my backyard. Yeah. And then when that happens, all of a sudden you start to develop these different modes of thinking. And it's funny because it's very difficult to predict how healthcare will react to this because there's inevitably going to be a strong reaction, a strong mm -hmm. reaction for or a strong reaction against. And what signals are you seeing? Is this going to be a strong for or a strong against? That's a tough prediction. <laughs> Yeah. For, you know, for the, for the cloud that we call our, our healthcare society, um, you know, integrated within within healthcare, as all of us healthcare professionals, uh, it's folks that have had experiences on the community as well, too. Um, it, it, you know, every holiday dinner, even let, let's take it away from work within a healthcare setting. You know, you got uncle so-and-so and aunt so-and-so pontificating every holiday dinner. Sooner, like, like things start catching on and all that. And, and we yeah. start to be thinking like, okay, well, you know, like bigger conversations of, oh, is there efficacy in various medical conditions for various cannabinoids or cannabis? I mean, there's a lot of studies out there already. Um, it, there's review articles. I, I think it was two, three years ago, of all things, the American Heart Association had a review article. Uh, I'm a little foggy on the origin there. But anyways, the, the really good stuff as far as reviewing the, hey, this information is actually, you could, you know, trust this in clinical care or this stuff eh, studies aren't really showing you know strength to, to follow these things um, and there's a, of course been subsequent reviews as well too but there is a lot of information out there kind of piggybacking on what i mentioned earlier there's already fda approved products yeah. um, you know are the right drums being banged for what people are looking to articulate <laughs> it, yeah. it's you know, there's only certain uh, uh, urination contests you want to enter uh, yeah. and actually have a smart goal, something attainable. That's the A, of course. Uh, and I'm sure you value your time. That's the T, <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know, to, to quote unquote win. So, you know, it, it's amazing how there's such an air of ambiguity around all of this. And, and it's funny because we see 
an announcement. It makes headline news and the political machinations go into motion. President Biden, so on and so forth, collects his accolades. And then there's always this, so what? Or what's next moment? And inevitably, everybody's always wondering, is this now a bellwether to increase access to all forms of medications that have potential abuse potential? Or is this a bellwether to say, because we increase access to marijuana and various cannabinoids, we will reflexively decrease access to other forms of medication, a la opioids and benzodiazepines. We don't know how to look at this, but the question would be then, who would be the tells? How would we know which direction federal policy, health policy leaders are going? Where are the tells and who would be revealing them? That's another tough one there. Um, so <laughs> almost converse to that, really. I, I'm, I guess you'd call it a grassroots. I'm kind of like a grassroots thinker in this regard, uh, in that no matter what the policy, the law, the large scale, the 50,000 foot view in the trees, um, whether it involves like literally being locked up, criminal record, whatever, or, or whatever policies even within healthcare, um, it comes down to those individual human interactions and decisions mm. um we, we uh there, there's many actually there's there's at least multiple maybe not many there's multiple instances of this of very polar topics in our country and quite frankly our globe where um, even if it's the majority thinking something is that what's uh you know good for every single individual perhaps it's public health compared to i won't pit them against each other but public health compared to patient care Right. I, there's obviously a difference and both involve very intelligent professionals, hundreds of thousands of them, if not millions, actually, um, across our country. So, you know, to your point, like who's right? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Every single conversation, I, I hope except this one, but <laughs> it ends up being a, a, you're running around in a circle. I mean, every high school's got them these days of, you know, the track you go and you run like where the heck are you actually getting? You're getting back to square one and you wasted an hour of your time. I hope it doesn't take everybody an hour to get around the track. But anyway, um, <laughs> We've all had those types of conversations, whether you see it coming or not, really. And, and it, it's uh, because we're talking about such things like you mentioned, like, OK, there, there's harm reduction. There's access to the the substances, whatever be it. Um, there, there's efficacy. There's the safety concerns. There's policy overall. And there's not really a, a common ground for overlap amongst them. Yeah, Everything always gets pitted against each other like, oh, there has to be one. There's got to be a solution. You know, this I'd take heat for this, but it's like there's a solution to the opioid crisis. Like, if there was a solution, wouldn't we? Somebody have stumbled upon it like thirty hundred years ago. Seriously, I mean, back when we were along the Nile only. Like, I it, solutions are are actions by us humans being there to help each other, um, or at least even ourselves. Quite frankly, um, and that's that's really where a lot of this comes down to. It is the you know, creating either public policy, laws, whatever, being different than what you hope for and expect of someone or to talk through them. It's almost borderline talking about parenting here. I feel like my kids should be in the room, but, um, <laughs> you know, guiding people. There's a difference between you can't do that. Yeah. You will get locked up and saying, hey, if you do that, something bad might happen, comma, but we'll be there for you anyway, because uh, you're a human, you have a heartbeat. Uh, that might be a low key or a very provocative last statement there, <laughs> but yeah. depending on how deep somebody reads into it. Uh, but 
there's a lot going on and, and everything ends up, it, it's not like there's a common ground for everything. Um, and, and we have to keep that in mind where there's not going to be a solution to it. It's a whole bunch of action as solutions. And, and to do it on a macro level is so hard that I don't know if that's a smart goal. Um, yet we want to do something, right? Yeah. You know, I, I would agree with that sentiment that the start of a solution cannot happen at a macro level because there's just too much polarization and organizational infrastructure to overcome. My question really, and this is another kind of open-ended broad question with no real answer. And I think it says something about this conversation that we keep running into questions with no definitive answer. Why aren't we comfortable with uncertainty? As a pharmacist, if you encounter uncertainty, you have a way of thinking through it. As a clinician, when we encounter uncertainty, we have a way of thinking through it. But for this issue, the premise of uncertainty is not acceptable. We have to have a side and both sides have to be pitted against one another and we have to fight. What is about uncertainty that we struggle with when it comes to these issues? It, um, you know, one of my least favorite, if not the least favorite forms of leadership is micromanagement. Yeah. Um, and, and I know that the vast majority of anyone listening, not all, but the vast majority would, would agree with that, but there are folks that do like it, whether you're the leader or being led, by the way. Um, we we do struggle with that with the the concept of just being torn and the like we want to know what to do every single time and interestingly enough like if you if you travel around the globe even in health care systems um when there's less resources things get more prescript prescriptive mm. um, you know uh, for instance uh, I, I was just talking we had uh, some student pharmacists and, and pharmacists travel to mm. south africa uh, certainly a, a different um, atmosphere in the area. Uh, a lot of patients with HIV and TB. Um, now, especially in the latter part there with, with TB, we, we certainly see less of that here in our country. But when and if it happens, you're, you're probably going to have the best of the best minds figuring it out along the way. Whereas in that country, it's prescriptive. Okay, somebody has TB. This is exactly what we use. Next patient. <laughs> right and uh, and there's a comfort level with that actually um humanistically um and by the way they're helping the patient um, yeah. but we would spend lots of time not being used to the scenario you know debating back and forth and quoting jama and new england journal from 30 years ago <laughs> <laughs> it's um we really we, we might not want to admit it i don't even want to admit it actually it, it we don't want to admit liking that but that's what we do um we we debate we talk through things in a very good way too uh, but having a, a, a cookie cutter answer to a very complicated, well beyond healthcare, well beyond society in itself, every layer of society is involved in this kind of stuff. Um, having cookie cutters just, it's not going to work out for 330 million people, yeah. <laughs> uh, nor the billion across the globe as well, too. Um, but maybe in certain sectors, um, just like that country example of, you know, maybe colloquially it'll work out uh, but will it work out for the entirety of humanity is a whole other question so. well i would agree with you and i think most people would agree with you but the issue then becomes well if we were to extrapolate that line of logic into a solution mm -hmm. you're essentially advocating for individualized care which who can argue against that <laughs> but all of a sudden that leads to 
decisions that are not, as you mentioned, prescriptive, meaning they're not routine or set based on certain mm -hmm. parameters of thinking. Is it that we have too many hands in the stove, too many cooks in the kitchen, that we need to maybe have some individuals, some organizations take a step back and say, we no longer need your input into this conversation? I don't, I don't know about that. It, it would make things more streamlined, but uh, uh, personally, at least I'm all about the interprofessionalism and, and I, I mean, well beyond healthcare too, like involving law enforcement in various decisions um, and all throughout society, uh, even uh, religious leaders and given communities. It, it, it's having more, you know, folks at the table, it's typically a good thing. However, redefining what the goal is, is mm. is paramount for any meeting i mean why have a meeting if you're not gonna have action you know, then right. you end up having meetings about meetings but um what is the actual goal is really important and, and is it a smart goal it is it something actually attainable uh does it apply to you know or it perhaps one entity or one meeting might be having too many people as you mentioned if the goal is very micro you know how many outside folks do you really need um repetitively of course um but it, it, you know, if you're, it's like within healthcare, we have guidelines galore and somehow they get uh, transcribed into, you know, hard limits on things. And it's like, there's a significant difference between a threshold and a limit. Yeah. Uh, threshold is like, Hey, we're entering a, you know, not necessarily a danger zone here. It's not top gun, but uh, like, <laughs> but you're entering a, a, an area of more scrutiny um, as compared to a hard limit we see that in in a lot of pain management efforts as well too but you know guidelines in general it, it is a guide uh pigs live hogs die <laughs> you, you don't always want to be the statistical outlier um, but every now and then we're dealing with humans every now and then that's understandable um, and that's that's tough when you're talking about these these macro policies you know across a country even of understanding that like hey there's going to be every rule has its exceptions I've learned in life, not just one. Yeah. Um, I, and, and how do we how do we mitigate those? Uh, you know, having contingency plans that that is, it, it seems like a frontier where we haven't gone to yet. Um, other than okay, if something's illegal, this is what we do. Well, what else is there? It's been a while. We we we've got some experience in that realm. What else? That, that's yeah. uh, like in this realm of you know uh, folks, you know, going back to the the, the headlines, of course, with the. Uh, pardonings and all that it's like well what else is there to not ruin someone's record and affect their job opportunities for the rest of their lives it, it's been decades like there's got to be other things to think about along the way and the more folks at the table the more kind of off the wall brainstorming ideas you can have a whole lot of ideas that probably aren't helpful too but you know you take yeah. with the good with the bad um, but at some point you do have to cut that depending on what the actual goal is. And that comes down to leadership to define what is our goal? What, what, what's the purpose here for any meeting or organization or whatever? I like that because we have to come to terms with the fact that we're not going to find a solution in the near term. A solution is very much a work in progress, but we can at least start on the right foot. And I want to leave with this question to you because I think that it'll end on a positive note and really emphasize a lot of your work, both individually and at policy level. How do we start having this conversation with clinicians, pharmacists, law enforcement, social leaders? How do we start this conversation? That's actually an easy one, listening. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 
yeah, you know, we see this, uh, you, you get all the folks you just mentioned, if you put them in a room, everybody's walking in with a different experience. Um, I'd add EMTs into there. Yeah. You know, if you're, yeah. if you're talking to a, a healthcare professional, you, you pick who, any of us here, even uh, I'll use pharmacists as myself, of course. Um, my experience in a pharmacy or in a hospital clinic, whatever, is going to be fundamentally and profoundly different than someone who arrives on the scene of deaths every day. It's just inherently going to be different. You know, think of uh, like if it's opioid overdoses, uh, so naloxone, the experiences are just going to be fundamentally and profoundly different. Um, and and both of us would need to listen to each other to be able to even start. <laughs> like yeah. I have to recognize that uh, law enforcement right along the same lines, uh, and by golly, of course, even within healthcare of you know whether it's prescriber, or dispenser, or all, all of the folks uh, along the way. It, it honestly just starting with a little bit of a listening session, keeping it simple. Nice. And for those who are planning or considering to start such a listening session or a, a community forum what are some resources or some informational packets that they can reference to help coordinate all of this and make it as effective as possible um that's a that's a very good question actually so you know at the the, the bigger picture level even across our country um I, i've heard there may be some name changes in the future but uh samsa um in this realm ha having a, a plethora out there uh, a lot of resources are going to send people to the very big level, though, and hopefully navigate to the local level. I would really implore everybody to just think differently and start local and little. Um, it's amazing what the smallest conversations can do. Um, it, it can be organized or not. I, I mean, community events happen. Just start chatting with other parents that are out there. Start chatting with, you know, kids, teachers or whatever. Uh, you, you never know when you, you find somebody with a little spark and then all of a sudden you are having community meetings. Um, I, I'd really recommend it. The resources are out there, of course. I think we mentioned a few, but like it's really about just starting those conversations and, and listening throughout the middle course too. Yeah. 